0: Welcome to the online broadcast, I'm Kareem Hendrick and I'm Brett Johnson and we're both anti-fraud experts
1: but with very different sets of experiences.
0: I have been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud.
1: And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster. I committed several different types of fraud online, ended up on the United States most wanted list, spent some time in prison, and since that point I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against people like I used to be.
0: Well and we decided to start off this episode with an oldie but a goodie, one of everyone's favorite segments what the fraud yes and to remind our new listeners what that is we essentially select a story a like recent story about fraud and talk about it a little bit before we dive into our main topic Today, I thought it'd be fun to talk about an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago, and that is how prepaid cards played a role in El Chapo's drug operation.
1: <laughs> it did, did it?
0: Well, payments, payments aren't fun and you know, or anything, or sexy until, but at the same time, it's the backbone of everything, right? So, well, at the end
1: of the day, you have to put money in pocket. If you don't, what are you doing? Well,
0: exactly. And what I thought was interesting is one of the biggest reasons why they use that to go across the border. So essentially, for people that don't watch Narco or other shows like that, (laughs) drugs come from South America. These are gross uh, generalizations. But in this case, I I just want to make that very clear. But in this case, these drugs, they come from South America. And a lot of times, you know, through port of entry and through people going on airplanes and all of that. A lot of it, though, is, you know, over through ports of entry. Like I live in a port town, Seattle, and I'm sure there are a lot of <laughs> containers that contain cars and goods that might also be full of cocaine. So you just never know. So that's how they, they're they coming in to the U.S. from there. But then the money that they get from that has to go back to then supply the operation. And so apparently they found that not only yeah is it hard to store millions of dollars in cash apparently El Chapo's brother actually got stopped at the border in Arizona (laughs) in 1989 (laughs) with 1.2 million dollars in cash kind of hard to explain that that's a lot of money (laughs) in a bag (laughs) <laughs> right? I know that's a lot of Jansport backpacks, knowing it it how is. much how much you can fit in those, thanks to your knowledge. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> also, yeah, so they went with prepaid cards and they loaded everyone with $9,900. But they also said beyond, you know, risking getting caught, the American money has linen in it and it picks up a lot of drug residue. And they were saying that, drug sniffing dogs can smell that on the money. Well, that, that's the thing is every single,
1: every single bill in the United States has cocaine residue on it. Every single bill. So if you have a lot of bills, the chance of a drug dog picking up on that is, is pretty good.
0: Well, especially if they were near drugs, but Absolutely. even if they weren't.
1: <laughs> I mean, you, right. You, so, so here here's.
0: <laughs> and I know you know a lot about prepaid cards being used as money laundering i think that actually the episode that we talked about that the most ended up not getting released because we had like serious editing issues so yes. we'll go back and do that again soon i know that you've also found in your past life that prepaid cards are really good for drug or not drug laundering so, or money laundering sorry about that not drug use because that is one thing you did not do <laughs>
1: right well, well they uh, like free. this all right so why do you use prepaid? And and a lot of it has to do with with the size. So a bill, it doesn't matter if it's a dollar bill, five, ten, twenty, hundred. A bill weighs one gram. Okay. So if you know how many bills, how many how many grams of cash you've got, so you've got a pallet full of twenties, you don't have to count each one or go through put it all through a money counter or anything like that. You weigh the pallet you know it's all twenties or hundreds, you know how much cash you've got. So $10,000 in twenties is 500 bills, 500 grams. That's half a key. So it's 1.1 pounds. All right. If you're carrying a million dollars in twenties, it's a huge amount of cash weight wise and mass wise. So it's much better to be carrying these little debit cards across the line. And you can hide those debit cards in various places if you need to.
0: (laughs) I knew you were going to make me say this. (laughs) Right before we recorded, I told Brett about a time that I was talking to a federal law enforcement officer that I knew pretty well. And when he's not on stage, he's very candid. And I asked him, like, oh, so what's going You know, what's new? What what are you guys seeing? And. He said that they were seeing a lot of mules coming across the border with a lot of cards, sometimes prepaid, sometimes stolen. It just kind of depended on what their mission was. If their mission was to, you know, spend money and get it back into the circulation or transfer funds, you know, that looks legitimately to a bank account or to use stolen cards. They weren't storing them in their pockets. Well,
1: where were they storing them?
0: Brett, I don't want to say it, but you know like yes. when people go to prison and they want to store things that can't be found? Oh, that's... we call that suitcasing behind bars. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, of course you do. Yes, so they were suitcasing uh, cards, which just to me sounds very painful, um, because he said that like in some cases it was like 20 or 30 cards. Well, you know, I sp- literally pocket
1: that round hole. It's hard.
0: It's hard, oh, man. <laughs> Does this mean that I have to mark our podcast as explicit when I upload this? I mean, we, you know, they do that
1: with, you know, you get the little blocks. And when you do the little test as a kid, you got the round block or the, the square block you're trying to put in a circle. It doesn't work.
0: It doesn't well, work. apparently it works. But I would guess that they'd have very uncomfortable looks on their faces that would give them away oh, at yeah. the border. <laughs> you want to sit down for a minute? No. i no, I'm no, good. good. <laughs> God, okay. but I mean, I think that those of us that like work in card fraud don't ever think about that. And gosh, wouldn't it, it's probably going to make anyone that works at a store across the border want to like bleach their hands after they take a we card, right? Is,
1: is, is, <laughs> so, so I talk a lot about the necessities of cybercrime: the the three necessities, committing a uh, gathering data, committing a crime, cashing out. At the end of the day. All of it fails. None of it is worth a damn if you can't put cash in pocket. To put cash in pocket, you need bank accounts. You could, so you can do it by bank account. You can do it by Western Union or MoneyGram, prepaid debit card, Bitcoin, or some sort of cryptocurrency, something like that. You have to be able to put your value in a pocket the problem is, is that if you're
0: or somewhere else or
1: someplace else,
0: <laughs> so the problem is, and somewhere I on I, your I, person.
1: I don't know if I told you this or not, but oh uh, you know, I, every now and then I get one of the people that I was locked up, one of the someone that I was locked behind bars with will contact me, and I, I, I I've actually met a couple, and a couple of them hmm. are, are great guys. I've turned their lives around. This one gentleman was not so great, so and he was uh, what you find too is being locked up. A lot of men who are locked up, when they're behind bars, when they have that structured, regimented life, they perform fine. I mean, they're great people behind a fence. Right. When they get out and get some freedom, they're not like that anymore. And this is the way this guy was. When he was behind the fence, he was outstanding. I mean, he was like uh, almost like a brother to me. Very healthy everything else but when he gets out what does he do he joins up with a motorcycle gang Mm. and i didn't know this when he contacted me but he had joined up with a motorcycle gang and he was proceeding to to distribute meth across the united states Uh. and base of operations west texas because the meth's coming right across the border ran out the sinaloa drug cartel ah yeah (laughs) <laughs> yes, Israel Chapo Right, and I spent <laughs> time with Zimbabwean people. I mean, I, when I when I got out. <laughs> I got a couple of, uh, of letters sent to uh, where I was living from some of these Sinaloan people saying, because I'd spent time with the guys, they were like, if you ne- ever need anything, just let us know. Oh, yes. <laughs> jeez. I'm like, I don't think I need anything. <laughs> I think I'm good to go. <laughs> but, uh,
0: right? Not exactly the people you ask for a cup of sugar, because yeah, you'd probably yeah. get a cup of something else.
1: <laughs> his name was Dave, was, huh. uh, was the guy who, I'm mad. I won't say his last name, because he's been indicted again. He's currently oh, in, Pr- in jail in Lubbock, Texas, Waiting, sentencing. But uh, wow. I remember I I met him for for dinner, and during the conversation, he's telling me what he's doing. I'm like, dude, and he, he's he was like, do you want a job? And I was like, I've got a job.
0: <laughs> wow, was that was that after you'd gone legit, like in no, the last two was, years? This was eight nine months ago. Oh wow, yeah. yeah no, you didn't tell me that. <laughs> so, uh, I'm sitting, I'm oh, and alone. your parole's up, so you can. I mean, exactly. you can affiliate with. It's not the yeah. <laughs> so he was like, well, you know these these cartels, they
1: uh, they hire people to find out uh, because evidently what goes on is you've got a you've got an entire uh, group of blogging or blogsters, I guess is what you call them, these people who have blogs who talk about the drug cartels in in Mexico. And how those, how those cartels operate, who the members of those cartels are, and things like that. And now, of course, these people who are blogging this information are anonymous. So the cartels will pay huge amounts of money if someone can identify who the bloggers are.
0: Oh, who's calling them out? Right. So
1: so Dave was like... You would
0: you be know, great at that, but... Oh, I would be wonderful boy, at that. am I glad that... You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boy, am I glad that I was able to, you know, help a little bit and get oh, you yeah, on the I street narrow. Be... Not to say that you wouldn't do that, if, even if you were desperate, because no, I no, don't I believe do you would now, but still.
1: I would be able to do a top-notch job at that, and so he's explaining this to me, and I was like, dude, you're you're crazy, man. I said, you know, what are you doing? Right. So it was uh, about three months after that, he gives me another call, and he was like... Uh, you have any contacts in the FBI? And I was like, ah. yeah, I do. He's like, I want to come in. I want to come in. Wow. So connect him with my contacts. He goes in and I guess the phone call with the FBI that, that he had with him, he calls me as soon as he gets off the phone. He's like, well, it was a good call, man. I'm, I'm riding the bike up there right now. And I'm like, good. I hope everything works out. He's like, yeah, the agent asked me if I had anything on me. And I told him I had a gram of meth on me at the time. Oh, evidently the agent asked him, what are you doing with that? And, and Dave was like, I just like meth, man. Oh, so gosh. The agent's oh. like, don't bring that in the office. What had happened was is somehow Dave got sent that. Uh, so there was like 18 people arrested in, in Lubbock, Texas. They've mm-hmm. uh, got some sort of. Pr- prior warning that the the crap was about to hit the fan so he decides that well what i can do is i'll just i'll just come in and be a good guy maybe i won't get any prison time did not work for him (laughs) so (laughs) it looks like he's going to get a good 15 or 20 out of that oh gosh so it
0: didn't they didn't reduce the sentence
1: oh no not enough he he only he have enough
0: intel right
1: right well he only wanted to cooperate because evidently the indictments were already there
0: Right. Oh, right. A little late now. Yeah. Now you want (laughs) to (laughs) help? But uh, you know, that,
1: that was, that's one of the big things you're moving massive amounts of, of, of weight, whether that be drugs or cash across borders. So if, if you, if you have cryptocurrency, that's great. The problem is, is that drug dealers, the larger drug dealers or terrorists. They don't use cryptocurrency. Why? It's because crazy, right? right? Well, it's it's hard to exchange tokens in the middle of the desert
0: yes. <laughs> if <you're> a desert. <laughs> that too, because you need drop. a lot of bandwidth. Yeah. There's a thumb <laughs> drive.
1: It's got twelve billion dollars in Bitcoin on it. Sure, it does. where's my <laughs> cash?
0: <laughs> oh right, right. Like I gotta find it. Yeah. Oh gosh. Right. Yeah. Well, they were saying that a lot of what was happening was. So the prepaid cards, you know, with $9,900 just enough underneath because the threshold, you know, for reporting and right. everything is right. 10000 in the U.S. So they were saying that they would then uh, take those back to Mexico mm-hmm. and they'd have – Employees, uh, for lack of a better term, I don't know really what they because they're not mules, but they basically cash them out right. um, at ATMs all over Mexico and then they'd have the cash down there to then fund their operation. So there's not really anything to like prevent on our end. I just thought it was fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and, and
1: but you, you got to realize too so there's only a set number of these prepaid debit card suppliers,
0: mm. right?
1: And and it's easy enough to see. On the supplier's side, who's doing that? Who's who's loading each card with whether the SAR is at three thousand dollars when we were doing the Patriot Act stuff, or if it's at ninety nine ninety nine now, for for money transfers, it's easy enough to see that. And the thing about the, about an SAR is is that that's supposed to be filed if it's if it's one transaction for ninety nine ninety nine. Yeah, sure, that'll come under the SAR. But if it's two transactions for that nine thousand dollar mark that hits the SAR at that point. So they're supposed to file. So those those a lot of suppliers, not a lot, but there are a few suppliers out there that are somewhat complicit in it because they make money off of those transactions.
0: Can you just fill us in on what SAR stands for in this context? Because sure I know so. there's a bunch of different acronyms. <laughs> so
1: to help combat money laundering, the banking system has a thing called a, a Suspicious Activity Report, an SAR. That SAR hits... It was hitting at, at the $3,000 mark for some Patriot Act stuff. I think now it's up to the 10000 It may not be in, certain, in some certain circumstances. But what happens is, is if you go to wire money and you wire more than, say, $10,000, the bank is required to write up an SAR, a Suspicious Activity Report. It does not matter. It does not matter. Who you're sending the $10,000 to, you've still hit that mark and a report has to be filed. Most of the time, those SARs, nothing happens. A lot of that, the SARs are written up because uh, over legal stuff, but it's still a requirement. If you go and, and do a MoneyGram or a Western Union and you go over that SAR amount, they're supposed to write that up. So, what you see a lot of criminals do, and the same thing with the debit cards, what you see a lot of criminals do is they will load right up into the amount where it won't hit the SAR just bang. right all right so you can, used to be able to go into a post office and you can still do that so the post office would uh, in in Vegas at the time because I was doing this in Vegas at the time they said we can't sell you three one thousand dollar money orders why because then we'd have to write an SAR and we don't want to do that but tell you what you can do you can buy two walk out the door come back in We'll say another one if you want to do it like that. <laughs>
0: oh, how nice, though. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> and the same thing comes with with, with 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 withdrawals, deposits, anything else like that. If you're depositing that kind of money like that, an SAR is written. That way, there's some sort of record of what's going on. So you've got somebody that comes in, they deposit $10,000 on a Tuesday, come back in on a Thursday, deposit $10,000, come back in on a Saturday, $10,000 that that causes three SARs to come up. That way up there all of a sudden there's a record. Once those records are submitted, whoever the investigators is, is is able to look at and say, Oh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday.
0: Okay. As, long as each time, <laughs> let's
1: look at that. And it goes from there.
0: Ah. Uh. Yes, of course you'd know a lot of information about this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're trying to put money in pocket, you have to know that. (laughs) So you already give me a hard time about, and I did not make this exact, I still to this day will say I have not ever made this exact comparison, but you have claimed that I've compared you to Kim Jong-un. You have. Uh, I actually compared you to somebody from North Korea coming in as like a, you know, defecting from their country so that they can give an intel to the other side. And Kim Jong-un has not done that. However, I was also going to say it seems like you had a lot in common with El Chapo as well. Oh, oh <laughs> But so I didn't little, know I'm about the El job Chapo. offer from the Sinai <laughs> drug cartel.
1: Of course, they would call me Gordo because I'm this big guy. <laughs> Gordo, come here. <laughs> so that's what <laughs> that would be.
0: <laughs> well, and it's kind of scary, too, that they pay so much money to Figure out who these bloggers are because I think we all know what that they're not going to meet with the bloggers to shake their hand, you know. And and the way the cartels
1: operate is uh, the cartels don't only kill the blogger; they -hmm. kill every family member, friend, dog. (laughs) You know,
0: they definitely not the people you want to especially honestly i worry about your friend dave right even him just trying to give up information i would think would put a target on his head yeah, he's
1: he's going to uh he's going to have some issues he really is yeah but you know at the end of the day i mean the, the guy is in his 40s he's an adult he uh, he comes uh, his grandfather his grandfather's last name was dewalt of dewalt tool fame oh wow so I mean it's it's not like Dave didn't have the ability to engage in something legitimate to make
0: money right so he right he made a lot of life. choices right. yeah you're right well and drugs are very powerful and mm-hmm. that drug especially is awful I you know live in a town that I, I as a lot of our listeners probably do I live in or I lived I grew up in a town that was very much hit by meth and it's just nasty and from what i understand even if you try it once you'll crave it 10 years later fortunately it's i've that never strong. tried it so I can't yeah me like, too oh, i
1: can't say it. i didn't start drinking till i was 34 i've tried to make up for it since that point
0: uh-huh. <laughs> you know yeah, I always, I've always been a pretty good, you know, goody-goody. I always, I always say that if anything in my life, it was always natural. It wasn't made in a lab. There you go. <laughs> Plus, I live in Washington State. So, and and, you know.
1: and before we move on to the next topic, let me just throw this out there, because it was so bizarre to hear this. So, I, you know, I've been taking these trips back to Eastern Kentucky, where I was born and and for many right. years was raised. They've got a huge opiate problem there, right. uh, meth problem as well. So. You know, it's a very poor area as well. So these people, they 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 come up with new ways to get high. uh, I'm one of the uh, my my first cousin. She's a therapist there. She does a lot of drug counseling and things like that. She was telling me that what some of these people are doing, they'll get a screen like on a screen door, and they'll they'll get some bug spray like wasp you know W A S P wasp spray. They'll spray the wasp spray on the screen, let it dry out. When it dries out, it crystallizes. And then they smoke it.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's so sad and scary. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> well, I do know that, you know, there are quite a few people out there that are committing credit card fraud or other types of fraud to supply their habit. I mean, I think that you worked with a lot of people like that as well, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and what got me so bad, I don't know if you ever uh, read or saw the movie Naked Lunch.
0: No, that is not a phrase I've ever heard of so before. Is that is sci- rated or X rated?
1: <laughs> it's, it's it's a sci-fi book. It's written by William Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Burroughs is a very old man, uh, but in the in the early twentieth century, and you know, before nineteen forty, he was getting high on bug dust. Bug dust. So so bug spray, the precursor. Oh to gosh. And so one day he gets so high on this stuff, he uh, he talks his wife into playing a game of William Tell. So he would put an apple on her head,
0: oh my God,
1: and then he would shoot it off. Now he was high on bug dust.
0: I can only guess
1: how this ends. You can know exactly how that ends. He uh he missed the target, <laughs> so and then he goes kind of crazy of depression and everything else at that point. It becomes a, he was a writer at that point as well, but he he wrote Naked Lunch that uh, that somewhat addresses that. My my cousin Francis was telling me about this what they're doing now, and I'm like, geez, it's, they were doing this stuff back then, man. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's, what are you doing? Is it, is, is a drug that necessary to you that you're using bug spray to get high? Yeah. Desperation. I mean, I, just, I don't understand it. I really don't.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's one of the things, you know, addictions. one of those things that you really can't understand until, you know, you're doing it. And I think that right. the challenge for those of us that, you know, don't struggle with that is just comes across as a choice, right? But it's also a disease. And so, you know, it's having that. The level of knowledge about it, but it's definitely sad, and that just screams desperation and just That's sadness it. It. for me. And then, you know, you've got these cartels that are preying off of those people. But yep. okay, I would say so let's enough. Move on
1: to a brighter topic, but right. I'm not sure we're going to do that.
0: <laughs> no, but I think it's a very important topic, and definitely something that we're a little more qualified to talk about than drug addiction. That's it. Um, <laughs> probably a lot more qualified. A theme that has come up. When in Brett and I's conversations often ever since, honestly, the beginning of us having talks, you know, before I even um, extended a contract to you to speak at CMP, <laughs> you know, I wanted to talk with you a few times and gauge if you were legit, but also, you know, that you knew current fraud stuff and not just from back in your heyday. Right. And one of the things you asked me was, you know, you were really perplexed. You didn't understand why companies weren't collaborating the way that fraudsters were, because you created the very first forum to buy and sell credit cards online. And you recognized the value in sharing information like, hey, this company's wide open, which is fraudsters speak to, you know, <laughs> you can go to town and <laughs> it's easy to commit fraud, basically. Um, and you, know, you guys would share that information with each other, and it made it a lot easier and better. And it's something that as you continue to work with companies on this side of the fence, I think that in some ways, I mean, not to put words in your mouth because you'll obviously, you know, share a bit, but it seems to me like in some ways you've come to understand it a little bit from a corporate side, but in others, it also just makes you really frustrated still. So we thought that this was a good topic to discuss today. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, fr- frustrated is is putting it nicely. I I really <laughs> pull my hair out sometimes over that. It's uh and and here's here's what's so interesting to me. So we had those conversations right as I began this this career as a consultant yep. and a speaker. And uh, you know I was naive. I I really was because I used to make that statement all the time. I used to make the statement. Uh, I'd ask the audience, how many people in the audience have visited to the dark web. And one or <laughs> two people raise their hand and I was like, how can you combat an enemy when you don't even know where they live? <laughs> so, you know, I was like, naive.
0: Well, but... I mean, <laughs> we all look back on parts of our career and think the same thing. So don't, right, I mean, right. you had never worked in a corporate office before. Of course you'd have questions about that because <laughs> there's a lot of things that seem like common sense and that actually are common sense that just can't.
1: <laughs> Can't right, happen right. in the corporate world. <laughs> but uh, you know what? What's been interesting in the past, uh, really, the past year, especially uh, uh, a few weeks before I spoke at Quantico, was uh, law enforcement is is very interested in getting companies to share information to collaborate. All right. Hmm. The thing is, is that the bad guys are all about that. It's not. It's not a choice for a cyber criminal. To collaborate or share information it is a necessity you right. have to and in script dmitry golobov when he was running carter planet that was one of the, he he gave this interview <laughs> to some magazine
0: while he was still doing it like oh, while yeah. he was oh,
1: still, yeah. oh wow so so what happens is is uh, we were running counterfeit library Dmitry was over in uh, the Ukraine. He saw what we were doing with Counterfeit Library, and he was like, man, that's a great model that they've got. Hmm. So what he does is is he uh, he contacts all of his Ukrainian cybercriminals, and there was a group of about 150, and he says, hey, let's meet for a conference, and we'll talk about what we need to do. <laughs> so So they met in Odessa. During that meeting, some media platform reached out somewhat anonymously to to script because at that point he was a spammer they reached out to him and they had this interview and during the interview he said that it, it becomes a necessity that at some point during a cyber criminals life he will have to rely on someone else and hmm. that holds true today so if you look at the necessities of cybercrime that gathering information committing a crime and finally cashing out if you look at that you may not be able to gather information so you're so you have to rely on someone to get you credit card data or PII bank mm-hmm. logins or access to proxies or remote desktop protocols or prepaid debit cards like CHOPO. You may have to rely on people to do that for you. Same thing if you're not able to commit the crime. You may understand part of the process, but you're, you may have to rely on someone to explain the rest of it. How do I actually go about doing this? Mm-hmm. What's the best way to do it? The same thing for cashing out. You may be in a geographic area where you're simply not able to cash out. And that happens pretty often, like that. In the United States, it happens like this: you'll have credit cards, uh, specific bins, won't work in parts of the country. They simply hmm. will not work to cash out, you know, illegally. So you have to rely on someone else out of the area to do that. So that collaboration becomes a necessity for a cybercriminal, and that's that's what I brought, you know, in our initial conversations. I understood that, and I, I was always wondering because you know. It, from a cyber criminal's point of view, that sharing of information, that networking with each other and and collaborating together, that makes cybercrime almost an, an unstoppable force. There's a reason right. that uh, you know, law enforcement shuts down a, a, a major marketplace and it really doesn't even really cause a blip in the entire cybercrime environment. They just simply shift to another marketplace. Or they shut down a group of, say, uh, say, it's the Zeus people or some malware supplier. They shut that person down. Well, there's another group waiting to take their place. It's got many, many heads to it. And it, it's all because of this collaboration that happens. Uh, so, so when we were talking initially, I was like, you know, why don't the good guys share information? And, of course, I found out the answer to that over the past few years. But it's,
0: I mean, I agree with you 100% that it's important. <laughs> it is. It is.
1: And, and, you know, it's still one of those things where, uh, I, I have trouble accepting that I understand the view of it. And I've been told this by companies and you probably have as well. We'd like to stop fraud across the board, but at the end of the day, we're worried about our company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I've had, I've had companies tell me that. Tell me that, and they don't realize that okay, yeah, it's your company today that you're protecting, but what about if your competitor over here in the exact same vertical feels the same way you do? You need Mm -hmm. to work together to stop fraud. There's this pigeonholing thing of just worrying about yourself but not the entire spectrum of things that becomes a huge, huge issue. And And then law enforcement has been really, really good with the last few times i've worked with them you know talking to groups and everything they've really wanted to talk about how cyber criminals collaborate with each other how they work together and network as as kind of this this antithesis of how the good guys aren't doing that
0: well and i think I mean, you know this is something that i'm extremely passionate about as well you know to just fill it i think that the biggest objections I've heard, and it really depends on how you define collaboration. But I think that in this case, we're defining it as like, talking with each other, and whether it's in online forums or whatever, it's not Now consortiums are great, and they're important. And we'll probably talk a little more about them in a little bit. But as far as like, the names and the PII that fraudsters are using, that go into consortiums are important, but they change all the time. What doesn't change is behavior and best practices. And that is something that literally I have dedicated my career to for the last, I'm doing math in my head really fast, uh, seven years. (laughs) Brett and I have both been traveling and busy, so we're both a little tired. Oh, we're tired. Yeah, right? So bear with us (laughs) if it takes like an extra half a second to think of a word or something, (laughs) or do math. But yeah, so over the last seven years, I've really dedicated a big chunk of my career to trying to foster collaboration and nothing makes me happier than getting a bunch of merchants in a room together to let them freely speak. And that's not to say that vendors aren't a very important part of the conversation, but merchants feel a lot more open sharing what's going on in their life or not in their life, but in their company and where their vulnerabilities are with their peers rather than anyone who might profit off of that, right? Or, oh, you have that problem, this solution can solve it. But also there's parameters and rules that their companies have too so that's part of it the other part is you know privacy rules there's a lot of you know rules that companies have i literally so i'm working on the cmp agenda for you know the speakers and my portion is merchant speakers i have had three people just today tell me that their companies have said that they can't speak two of them they were able to speak last year but they can't now like on stage and this is at a trade sh- you know a A trade like this is just an industry conference. It's not, you know, this isn't like a humongous one. You know, we usually have a little over a thousand attendees, but it doesn't matter. They don't want to make it seem like they have fraud. Even though I mean, my whole thing is okay, can we just all admit that every online company that accepts payments has fraud? And can we just say that like, why don't we speak and show that we actually are doing a good job? That's you know what I would love, but of course I'm biased. But the ways that I've been able to foster collaboration kind of with my hands tied behind my back with all these other things at in-person events, it's the best way. That's why I have fireside chats at CMP. And when I worked for MRC, we had similar, you know, merchant roundtables. I think is what I called them. But, you know, and we have merchant only events and, you know, cocktail parties and stuff. I think it's at Lucky Strike this year at CMP. And that's because it's so important. And that's one thing I can do. But what I'm always conscious of is there's a lot of companies that can't attend that or don't. And so or 10 other conferences. And so, you know, you can't ever get all every single online merchant in a room together. But that's my goal. I mean, I I can just do what I can do. The other things is I've, I've tried to start forums. It's a challenge because of liabilities and security scans and all the stuff and then also the functioning forums that are out a lot of times what happens is people only go visit them when you have to like go out and visit them when they have a question and so sometimes you have a lot of questions but not a lot of answers so there's a lot of challenges but that's you know one way this podcast is a way that we're trying to you know foster some kind of collaboration in a way because you and I both are you know probably me running you and away from the merchant side are being told all the time like what's happening on the ground and those merchants can't really share it, but we can share it on their behalf. Just like with that new fraud trend that came out with, you know, whitelisting fraud back in the fall. Right. None of those merchants could come out and talk about it, but we could on their behalf because we didn't say what companies they were. So those are the little things we can do. Is it enough? No. And that frustrates me doing the best I can with what I have. The other challenge is some of the biggest companies in the world have identified risk as a competitive advantage. Absolutely. So they're not allowed to talk to anyone, even in a closed-door merchant-only event. They'll listen, but they can't talk about it. That's frustrating. I
1: know. Right. That is what's insane to me. I know. You're using using risk as a competitive advantage. Why are you doing that?
0: That, I couldn't agree more. That's absolutely crazy. Well, from a company perspective, if you – if it's a tight race between you and your competitor and you feel like you've come up with a good way to stop fraud, then from a company perspective, that's all they care about. I'm not saying I agree with it because I don't. I think a lot of us know which companies those are and – I understand it's not the people that work there that are doing it and that are setting that, but there are some people more than others that work for those companies that have really, you know, drunk the Kool-Aid for lack of a better term and <laughs> believe in that as well. And I just feel so strongly. I mean, I have in my career, I have had affinity groups where, you know, I helped start the Online Gamer Safety Alliance, right, with every online major online gaming company, like video gaming, not gambling company in the US as well as in Europe too. I started the payments committee and the fraud, you know, and all these other things to get merchants on the phone throughout the year. I've done introduced Walmart to Target in their fraud department and they talk often. And the ticketing companies, you know, Ticketmaster and StubHub and Tickets.com used to have a weekly meeting every weekly or bi-weekly I don't remember and it was because I introduced them so there are a lot of things going on like that are outside of a bigger so there are a lot of competitors that talk to each other then you've got issues where well one company maybe the manager knows a little more about fraud than the other one and so one side feels like they're you know taking advantage of that and soaking up all the information and the other side thinks that they're not getting anything like there's so many challenges I've tried my best for what it's worth <laughs> I mean that's all I can do at I was kind of bummed because I actually announced that this was happening like months ago when the broadcast first started is that um, I worked with CMP to create a forum and we were all really excited about it. And the lawyers decided that it was just too much of a liability. And I understand that to a certain point because, I mean, as much as I don't like it, I understand it. If you think about it, you know, if if somebody shares something and it gets out to the masses, who do they want to sue? You know, that's like that's the one of the many reasons. That's not the only reason. But also, what if it's hacked? You know, what if there's a breach and all that data and information in those people's names? Then I'd be on them. So I understand it. I'm certainly not like throwing them under the bus, but I was really bummed about that because I was excited to you know, give that a try. I do know that there's another organization that's working on a pilot for forums, and they actually asked me to to check it out. I just haven't had the time. (laughs) <laughs> and once that happens, once it's out and about and, you know, everything else, we'll definitely announce it here. I got an email from a very large retailer in the U.S. just yesterday saying, hey, what other threat intelligence, like forums or threads can I follow? I do know that the NCFTA, the national, I used to know this a lot better, National cyber forensic training alliance I think it is out of it's a very um, good group. Pittsburgh yeah they are a great group and yeah. obviously you know Keith Mars he worked with them towards the end of his career before yep. he retired but I've spoken at a couple of their events in the past and really good group hey, it's right next to Carnegie Mellon hey, yeah good group. They are. I am speaking there this year oh are you all oh, good <laughs> no wonder you have to say nice things no they really are a good group I know that there are some like paid memberships and things like that so you know we're certainly not trying to plug that but they do have a it's the worst acronym name ever but it's called the rolf list the retailers against online fraud just rolf sounds like throwing up to me and they it's like an email chain basically you know distribution list but you have to do quite a bit to be able to be part of it i used to be part of it for a long time and you kind of to have to weed through the weed through the volume sometimes So that can be a challenge, but there is good information there. But I I think that there's a membership fee for that. I don't know what it is. I just know that this retailer wasn't able to renew it this year. They want to know other things. I mean, and you know, it's bad when I'm like, well, I know there's a lot of information on Reddit. You just have to sift through it. And it's from the bad guys, not the good guys. Like, it's so hard to answer those questions because there is one other forum out there, but it's open to vendors. And so it's really not functioning like I, I and it's also part of a membership association. So you'd have to that, pay memberships. That goes because. into
1: that whole thing too. You know, I, and, and God knows I, I there, are, there are several vendors out there that I adore. I mean, I absolutely love working with them and everything. Else.
0: Right. I, I agree. Do. Me too. They're very important for the ecosystem. But at fun. the
1: same time, I mean, you don't, so we work with vendors uh, you and I both have worked with vendors who instead of turning on uh, say an interview or whatever it is into a commercial, they're actually sharing information because they understand this entire field of dreams principle. If you build it, they will come. We don't need to really advertise a lot. If we've got a good product that works, we'll get people to sign up. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) But some of them take advantage of the situation. And so, you know, in this, in this specific forum, I'm thinking of, there's so many merchants that are afraid to ask questions because when either they've done it in the past or other people have asked questions, it's, well, hey, I'd love to talk to you. We can solve that. And I do agree that the most successful vendors in the space that I know of are the ones that respect merchants having conversations with other merchants. Some of them even foster those conversations. It's not a roadshow road type thing where they're going to your city and you can sit there for four hours and listen to them pitch you. No, they're like, all they're doing is picking up the tab and letting you guys talk, you know, in your region. And I participate in those. And I'm really bummed out that I missed the one in you know LA a couple weeks ago because of pneumonia. And I'll probably hopefully be doing, more of that with them as well because I believe in that again it's just a small subset within your city but at least you know other people within your you know like oh okay I know that person at, you know that company and can reach out it does seem like sometimes they vendors as a whole can make it difficult for collaboration because they want to be involved in the conversation as they should be in some conversations but I think that When they respect the fact that merchants need to get education from each other without a sales pitch and without, you know, opportunism, then that's when they work out well. What I see is a lot of the people who are doing that type of thing, being opportunists in conversations like that, trying to sneak into merchant-only cocktail (laughs) hours. I know who you it? are. Not you. <laughs> I mean, I am I know who those companies are. That's usually when the company's starting to get desperate and merchants know that too. They're not stupid. So, you know, that can be just a free advice to the providers out there. Try to respect the fact that merchants do need to speak with other merchants. And at conferences, merchants want to hear from other merchants and providers want to hear from other merchants too. And so, yeah, it stinks because You know, I know that there's a lot of education you guys have as well and knowledge that you have, but I think that it has to, you know, come from the right place. But I think there there could be a little bit more help and less, you know, hurting from that side of the community, allowing those conversations to happen when they can.
1: Right. I agree. I agree completely on, you know, I I don't know. I think the Ralph list is a great list. I think that uh, instead of paying for it, it should be free. I think that we should. Uh, I th- I actually think, you know, I, I look back at my uh, at my you know my integration into cybercrime, the role that I played in everything, and and you know our initial our initial forums. I mean, you, and even the forums of today on the criminal side, you've got people who are anonymous they've got screen names but they're anonymous um and then you've got a ranking system so it becomes like this almost this this human ledger system this kind of a human blockchain to and i hate using the word blockchain anymore you know you've you've got that in there i don't see why a a group of merchants even if you did have say say vendors in there or even potentially criminals would I'm, i'm sure criminals would be trying to get in there in some circumstances they would but you could have people in there that would be anonymous not having to say who they work for and over time and not not a lot not a huge amount of time but over a short period you'd you'd be able to to somewhat validate who had real information compared to who didn't or who was potentially a vendor that you need to kind of dismiss that they're trying to hawk their product too much stuff like that i really believe that that type of anonymous structure would would benefit Merchants. I really believe that.
0: see, and I don't know if I do because a, yeah, that like if it's not that anonymous, then fraudsters could come in and that would make it so that it wasn't safe. And you'd have to have like heavy moderation, you know, moderating it as well, which would be quite the undertaking. But also, context is really important when it comes to fraud prevention because you want to know who that company is that share that's saying that because, it may not apply to your company, you know? So, like, fraud looks different at different companies. And so, agree, if somebody's saying, like, for instance, you know, we've found that every time billing and shipping doesn't match, it's 100% fraud. I'm literally just pulling that out. That's not, true. you know, true at all. But somebody says that, then you, without knowing who that person is and that maybe they only get like 10 orders a day and, you know, something like that, then it's really hard to take it seriously or do anything with that. So I do think that context is important in this case. What I have been thinking about, and <laughs> I am literally putting you on the spot while we're pressing record, but <laughs> I have been thinking about like, how can we as the online fraud help facilitate some other types of Collaboration, and I've been toying with a LinkedIn group, like a private LinkedIn group where we have to approve, and it'll be merchant only. The yeah. challenge with that, though, is that I don't feel like a lot of people are using LinkedIn groups anymore, and, and I just feel like a Slack channel just wouldn't. There'd be a lot of logistical stuff there that would be really difficult. But definitely,
1: the problem that I would have with a LinkedIn group is that it it's a LinkedIn group. <laughs> <laughs> meaning that uh, that LinkedIn is going to have access to any information that, that we talk about.
0: Right. Which, you know, I actually don't feel so bad about because I know some of their trust and safety people and, and sure. think highly of them. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. Whenever you have another, you know, something hosted, it's there's going to be other companies access to it. But I mean, there's always a downside to everything. Right. But I would say like. I'd be interested to hear what our listeners think about that. Like if they think that that would be helpful or if that's the dumbest idea I've ever had, you know, like just or I mean, if by, there's by another that, thing that I haven't thought of, that's entirely possible too.
1: But, you know, by, by the same token, if you if you're thinking about a LinkedIn group, you could you could easily have a a closed forum where it's invite only, no one else has access to right. the, uh, the content whatsoever, and then all the data that is there is not being scraped by some potential company
0: well yeah so we'll have to talk about it more if that's something that you know you know we can host somewhere that would be Mm -hmm. secure and safe and all that or if that's something we can add to our website, I have no idea. And I don't want anyone to get their hopes up because I don't know if it's possible. (laughs) But it is something as I continue to think about how can I continue to support and help merchants. That's something I've had on my mind for a long time, uh, even before the the podcast. But you know, now that we have a pretty significant audience, and we're very grateful for you guys, like we want to make sure that You know, we're supporting you, and this is something we hear often about, and we know is a thing. I mean, I would say if you're able to, and this is aside from – you know, any of my own interests in CNP Expo, you know, if you're able to attend a conference this year, I really highly recommend it. I know that, you know, MRC is in Vegas in very soon, just in March 18th, so it's probably too late for that. But you know, CNP is in San Francisco. We are doing a live recording of the podcast. We do have a promo code for 10% off, which is FCAST. F you know, the cast I know I there's so many jokes. I did not pick the, the promo code. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, gosh, Brett's going to have so much fun with this. <laughs> there's that cackling again. <laughs> but the reason I say that is because we really do have more merchant only time than any other conference that I know of in this space. And that's because I know how important it is because I used to be a merchant and they've been really great with me to allow me to create those types of programs. I mean, we'll have a women's women in payments and fraud breakfast. We'll have the cocktail hour merchant only at Lucky Strike and it really is merchant only. And that just reminded me of a very funny uh, conversation I had at a conference recently with a probably one of the top 5 retailers in the world where I said, you know, that we have I, we were ta- comparing conferences, and I was like, there's another conference that used to have more merchants than vendors, but now they have a lot of vendors attend it. The very first one, and I said, You know, we don't do that, it's merchant only. And he said, So, what does a merchant only party look like? Solo cups and pizza <laughs> without sponsorships? And I was like, I thought that was kind of funny. We were joking about that a little bit. But no, it'll be at Lucky Strike. It'll be fun. We also have the fireside chats where we get verticals together like online gaming. And you just get to talk with your peers and see them face to face so that throughout the week you can then like meet up with them and like, oh, yeah, you do this. You know, you work for this gaming company. I work for this gaming company. Let's talk. And there's a lot more freer conversation that can happen in person than even over the phone, especially in writing. So that's definitely something I would say if you're able to go you know we would we would love to see you obviously I mean we are still we do still have some room for merchant speakers as well who get to go for free so if that's something you want to talk about you know reach out to me it's a great thing for your career I certainly don't mean it as a plug for you know CMP there are other conferences out there it's just the one that's in a couple months so you can plan for it and we will both Brett and I will be there. So that's an easy one to plug. But just any of those things, even if it's a regional event in your town that comes to you, take advantage of that. Because I definitely wouldn't know even close to what I know in my career without some kind of collaboration. And, you know, you have to give to get. So, you know, do try to provide information that will help people too. And again, it doesn't... I don't think it should ever be PII or metrics or anything like that. Just simple best practice stuff. Like what are you guys doing for account takeover? You know, everybody's reinventing the wheel and you might be able to learn something or especially in your vertical. And that's why I have the fireside chats is, you know, what's going on in your, what are your competitors seeing that you're not seeing? Because that means that you will be seeing it soon. Those kind of conversations. I mean, I remember when I think I told the story when we talked about ATO, like, the gaming companies talking about account takeover years ago, and nobody else knew what it was. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, gosh, now we all have it, but we can learn from the gamers because they figured it out first. It's just so important. And I think that it's in, It's been interesting to see it from your eyes, Brett, because I'm so jaded that I, you know, I know that this is just the way it is. And I've tried to find workarounds whenever I possibly can. But then for you to come in and be like, what the heck, you guys? Like, <laughs> I, mean, I, I really
1: do. I really think that uh, I think there's a way to um, to have some sort of platform where where the people are anonymous yet they're still able to exchange information that way you're not you don't have to worry about uh, discussing specific company practices or anything like that. Uh, I, 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 there's got to be some way to do that. I mean,
0: well, I, I have some ideas of how we can provide some context without naming them, right? right. So I'm not right. saying like your first name, last name, whatever. I think at the bare minimum, we just need to know like what vertical you're in, and ha- you know, and some kind of size of your company, so you know, understand what. Yeah, and that's you know, uh, that would if be you can compare apples either. to apples or not. And I also think it would be important for the admins to know who it is, because I would want to really care about the integrity of that. I wouldn't want it to be an open forum where anyone could could join. That would be I just I just think it takes away from (laughs) from the importance of it. (laughs) And it, it people will leave very quickly if it becomes, you know, a pitch fest and, you know, commercials or, you know, like, or taking advantage of stuff cuz that's what's happened to other forums when it's been for lack of a better phrase mixed company and sure. again like i just want every vendor who's listening to know like it's not we really value your role in the space but when it comes to this part i just i think that unfortunately because of some of your peers that's why merchant only is so important because other people have abused it I would, I would love to be able to cherry pick the vendors that I know would just be super respectful and would want to learn and listen and and wouldn't, you know, take it as an opportunity, but then it would be, well, how come they got, you know, so it's just difficult. But I do think that, you know, it's also an opportunity for vendors to listen and go, okay, so this is what our market wants. How can we foster this? How can we help in some way? So, you know, even if it's just in-person events or respecting that, And, you know, consortiums to a certain extent are a way of collaboration. And I think that they're extremely valuable. We've talked about, you know, the goods and the bads in former episodes, but um, that is a way for data to be shared anonymously with other companies. And I'm glad to see that some companies are now saying, like, this was marked fraud by, you know, a ticketing company or a retailer, because what looks like fraud to one company isn't going to be fraud to another. And so you don't want to just, say no, because another company, you know, canceled it. There's also some companies that mark things as fraud that aren't always fraud. And so that can cause issues as well. Everybody has a different way of calc of determining if something is fraud or not. So I guess that's, you know, it's subjective, but it is still very important and valuable. And I think that most case management systems have a consortium feature, as well as a few other companies that aren't case management systems. So, those are important, but you're not learning the education out of it. And so I think that it's a two-pronged approach and I think that's really what we're talking about most here. All right, well, why don't
1: we close this up then?
0: Are we are we close? We are over. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, cuz I was going to add one more thing, but No, really, add it. Think it, it think add it. By one all means. More thing. Speaking of collaboration, the one other thing I can't stress enough is the importance to collaborate within your company beyond just with other merchants. I talked to, so let's call it company a, I know the fraud manager at company a, and I also know the the payments people at company a, and the fraud manager has told me before, like, Hey, I'm really struggling with other departments taking us seriously or, or working with us. And I just don't know what to do. And you know, it's really frustrating that they treat us like the redheaded stepchild and that, you know, I don't get in on those conversations I want to be. And then I'm talking to the payments manager who's saying, well, I really wish I understood what the fraud manager was doing and what they, you know, what they were up to. And I really wish we could work together, but they seem to be really territorial. My observation is that I can see both sides of that being true. I think that, as a former fraud manager, I got so in the weeds and I did get pretty territorial for a while and I didn't understand that it goes two ways. It's really important to share with, you know, your company, other people in your company don't know what they don't know. You can't expect them to understand how important online fraud is, what you're looking at, what you're doing, what matters, you know, that, hey, if marketing puts the entire website 50% off tomorrow, I need to staff up because that's going to attract fraudsters. You know, all of those things, they don't understand that. And so I think it's super important, whether it's hosting lunch and learns or brown bag lunches or, you know, something to help your other company, other people in your company, you know, cross-functional Departments and teams to understand what you're doing, and I think that collaboration is just important as the collaboration with your industry. So that's my final part. But you know, (laughs) finding what they care about, finding how you can help them, how you can mend those those bridges, because I think it's perspective. And I'd be willing to bet that they want to learn from you too. They just don't know how, or maybe they are intimidated or or whatever it is. And so I think just finding ways that you can work with other departments by figuring out what they care about and how you can help how you can educate them. I'm super passionate about that too. So in the name of collaboration, I just (laughs) wanted to say, as much as it's super important to be collaborating with your peers and your competitors in this field. It's also very important to look internally and collaborate there too.
1: Well, you know, and feeding into that, I was at uh, Infraguard uh, Atlanta yesterday. I was fortunate enough to hear Mark Giuliano speak, former FBI Deputy Director, mm. and uh, he made much the same point. Uh, it, it's it's important that we don't, or that companies don't have this this kind of environment where sharing information or, or crossing those lines or trying to get uh, information up the chain is difficult. You have to fight against that. It's, it's mm-hmm. very important to have this, this idea of openness and not have, uh, you know, like you and I had a phone call a, a few weeks ago with a company that uh, there was one person on this, on the call with these seven other people from the, company <laughs> and the one person ran the show. Uh,
0: and not in a good way. <laughs> and, and not, until, not in a good way.
1: Until he left, then everyone else was able to talk. Right. Um, it, it's it's important that 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 type of environment is not in a company, and that employees understand that they can talk, that they can you know share information or get things up a chain, and it will be listened to. Right. Um, very important that we get that to that point.
0: Well, and I'm obviously someone who enjoys talking, but I really try to listen as much as I talk. And I think that right. that's a good challenge for everyone. And, and on that call, I mean, there was so many other things around that call. And you actually wrote a rant about it on your blog. <laughs> you were so frustrated.
1: And your rant's coming. You wait until I get that Facebook rant up.
0: Oh, geez. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. Brett does rants. But I mean, I think they're they're really good. I certainly don't mean to minimize them. But yeah. And I mean, because that calls kind of like it was surprising to me and it was frustrating. But I was able to let go. I think for you, you've now you've gone from having a passion of committing fraud to a passion of wanting to prevent fraud. And I think that your strong sense of, you know, we need to do this like we need to take this seriously gets really fired up when you see us kind of being our own worst enemy. Oh, yeah. And that's what I noticed is that's when you get really upset is like when you're like, what the hell, you guys, your company has so much fraud. We're sitting here telling you about a brand new scheme that you obviously don't know anything about because it's going through just fine. We were taking time out of our busy day to share that information with you. Like, we totally could have held it hostage and tried to, you know, charge them a bunch of money. But we didn't. We just were like, hey, we just want to know that, you know, we want you to know that this is happening. And I was pretty shocked, too, at how not receptive they were and basically how cavalier they were. They just kind of shrugged their shoulders and were like, yeah, so. Um, It's like, wait, what?
1: You say that. If we would have tried to charge them, they would have listened. Ah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's not always the case, my friend, because, you know, you and I both consult. And sometimes, what yes, is that is valuable true. valuable
1: information of what you speak?
0: <laughs> How much <laughs> do we
1: owe you for the information? Oh, that's good information.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, for, I would say for the most part, I always feel bad for my clients who were like, we've been saying the same thing, but then you came in and said it and put it on a pretty PowerPoint and then... The people up the chain listen, but then there's other companies that not so much. So, you know, it's not always the case, but it is more so.
1: (laughs) That's true. All right. Well, let's wrap it up for this evening. Get some sleep.
0: (laughs) I agree. That sounds amazing.
1: All (laughs) right. Well, that's it for our episode today. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you've learned a lot. We've got so many more of these topics to cover to help protect you and your company from fraud. So please subscribe to the online fraudcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. Please tell your friends to rate and review on iTunes, especially as part of our contest. Don't forget to use the hashtag online fraudcast. Is it online fraudcast or hashtag FCast? Which one is it?
0: Uh, it's hashtag online broadcast.
1: Okay, it's hashtag online broadcast. <laughs> promo
0: code, yeah, so, so confusing. We can keep track <laughs> of all these entries.
1: The promo code is hashtag
0: F. no. No, there's no hashtag, just promo code FCAST. I can't stop
1: I've got to talk to somebody about that. I'm sorry, I do.
0: (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) You don't know how long it took just to get a promo code. (laughs) I just took whatever I got and was like, well, people will remember it. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) <laughs> so those shares on social media will not only enter you for the contest that we announced on a previous episode, but they'll also help, you know, your friends and industry colleagues learn about us so they can learn all about fraud and nerd out as well. And also we as always want to hear what you love so far about the podcast, how we can improve, what topics you want to hear us discuss. And from this episode, also what would you what would a good forum look like? What would You know, what would you want? I cannot promise that we'll create it, but I can promise that we will really look into it and try to do the best that we can because we ultimately are here to support you guys and, you know, the fraud fighters on the ground. You can find Online Fraudcast on Facebook, on our website, com, or as always, find us individually on LinkedIn.
1: Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure.